Um, as a church family, if you've been with us for a little bit of time or maybe a longer time, as a church family, we've, we've been walking through for about a year and a half, just really looking at it, what, what it looks like in God's Word to see what it means to live the life of a follower of Jesus. And so what we did is we looked at Jesus first, right? We opened up the gospel in Mark, and we walked through verse by verse, and we saw the life and ministry of Jesus. We saw Jesus teach. We saw him heal. We saw him serve and love. We saw him pursue the cross, amen, right? To die in our place, to be buried, and then rise again. And then before Jesus left, he laid out for us a command, a commission for us to tell others about him. And we read all throughout Mark and throughout the Gospels that the life that Jesus is calling you and me to live, we, we read all of that. Followers of Jesus' church are to see and imitate his life and point others to Jesus. Noah, can you do me a big favor and turn the monitors down on my mic just a little bit? I'm getting a little bit of ring up here. Followers of Jesus are to see and imitate his life and point others to him. And then we looked at Luke chapter 11 to, to, to what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And again, we spent verse, or weeks going through it verse by verse, learning from Jesus as he taught his disciples how to pray. He told them to teach or to, to pray desperately, to pray boldly, to pray persistently, and to pray just trusting in God. Because the life that you and I are called to live, the life that we were made to live, cannot be lived apart from God. Amen, church? Man, if we think it can, man, let's think again, right? It can't be lived apart from, from God, and it can't be apart from communicating with Him. And so Jesus is saying, come to God in prayer as you walk with Him, and understand this, that followers of Jesus aren't, always, aren't, just, aren't just to imitate His life, but we're also to be praying people. I mean, if you want to see how healthy you are as a follower of Jesus, look at your prayer life, because we're to be praying people. And part of the living the life of a follower of Jesus is to love like Him. Right? And so we looked at his word to see what it looks like to love God first and foremost. We spent about four or five weeks on that, to love God first and foremost, and then to love our neighbor, to love those that are around us, to love those that are here in the church, right? and even to love those that have wronged us, right? those that don't deserve it. Because Jesus, when we were the least deserving, he first loved you and me. Amen? Right? Let's try that one again. When we were least deserving, he loved you and me first. Amen, church? Right? And as followers of Christ, we too were to love him first with all we are, and then we're to love anyone that God places in our path. Our neighbor is not just the one that lives next door to us or the ones that we like. It's any person that God has placed in our path. So love in our life is evidence that we belong to Jesus and that we were first loved by him. And so followers of Jesus love God and love their neighbor. If you've got your bulletin on the back of there, there's some notes if you want to fill those in. But followers of Jesus are to imitate his life, point others to Jesus, or to be praying people, and then we love God and love our neighbor. And for the last four weeks, we really focus on our personal relationship with the Lord. Church, we have a God that is above all, right? He is, he is all-powerful, he is all-present, he is all-knowing, he's all-loving, but he is a God that not, he's not a distant, a distant being in the sky, right? He is a God that desires a close, personal relationship with each of us wasn't that long ago I visited with, uh, with a gentleman in our community that just said, no, God doesn't have time for me, right? God doesn't have time for me. He'll, he'll check on me if I'm doing something wrong or high-five me every now and then, but God doesn't have time for me. And we saw God is completely different than that. He is intimately um, involved in our lives. And for us as Christians, a lot of times when we think about our life as Christians, we think about what can we do, 
Right? What do we do as Christians? We think about the doing and serving and the sacrifice and being obedient, but being a follower of Jesus is not first about those things. It is first about being with God. It's first about being with Jesus. Because everything flows out of that. John tells us in John 15 that we must abide in him because apart from Jesus, church, help me out, we can do nothing, right? Church, our, our doing and our, and our following and our serving and our loving, even our growing, it flows out of our personal relationship with the Lord. Think about the life of Jesus. He, he exampled this for us. He, he, he taught us this. We see this in his life. He came to be God with us. That's who he came to be, right? He calls us to follow him, to, to imitate him. We think about his apostles. He gets the 12 together, right? And he calls his apostles to first be with him, and then he sends them out, right? So he's with them first, and then he sends them out. You're like, okay, well, I'm not an apostle. Well, let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, right, just, just to anybody that's going to follow him, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Sometimes we pursue that, like, what can we do to get better? What can we do? Spend time with Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus says, I have a life for you. I have a mission for you. I have a plan for you, but it first starts with following and being with me. And when you follow and imitate and walk with Jesus, then the Lord begins to equip and teach and gift and empower us to live the life. So followers of Jesus pursue a close relationship and walk with the Lord. We recapped all that for a couple reasons. One, because we're kind of coming to a close. We're always going to be talking about the, you know, following Jesus. That's who we are. We're, we're followers of Jesus. But we're kind of coming to an end of that before we come to Christmas. But we recapped that for one reason, because we're going to start a new series today that's going to close that out. But also in about four to five weeks, we're going to, as a church, begin to shift our attention to Christmas and to the birth of Jesus. Moment of honesty, some of you have already started, right? Right? You aren't, just, you aren't just looking for it, you're living it, right? You've got Christmas music playing, you're putting up your decorations, you've been hanging out in Hobby Lobby in the Christmas aisle, haven't you? Right? And, and buying up all their Christmas stuff, right? I bet some of you have your trees up already. Anybody have your trees up already? Raise your hand, we won't judge you. Come on, somebody's got it. I walked into my sister's house this past week and she was putting up, is that garland? Is that what that's called? Putting up garland. And uh, man, so... But, so some, some of you guys are already there, but for the rest of the world, they're looking forward to that time of year. And Christmas is a time for us as followers of Jesus to be reminded of who Jesus is, right? And to be reminded of the life that he calls us to live as, as followers of Jesus with him. And we get to look back throughout the word of God and we see promises from him and his word in places like Isaiah chapter 7 and 9 where we see that Emmanuel is coming, Right, God with us, and there's going to be a child that's going to be born to be the Savior. And then we, there's a time for us to go back to uh, places like Matthew chapter 1 and, and Luke chapter 2, and we see that come to life. We see those promises come to life that a child named Jesus is born. Right, The Son of God, God the Son, the second in the Trinity, and that He has come to bring peace and, and to save us from our sins. He came to be God with us. He came to restore the relationship that was broken. He came for you and me, and He came for all that need a Savior. Christmas is a good time to do that, to reflect and to, to remember those promises and to remember what Jesus did for us. So Christmas is a time for us to rejoice and reflect and remember. But it's also a time for us to share about Jesus. As Christians, we've spent a lot of time looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, 
We've seen the need to pray. We've seen the need to love and the need to pursue him and to be with him. And we know that we're called to tell others about him. Church, we are called to go and tell others about Jesus each and every day. Are you with me, church? Anytime the Lord gives you an opportunity. But Christmas is one of those times a year where people are more open to that. Right? They're more open to come to church. They're more open to hear about the birth of Jesus in church. We, we are praying already, and, and we need to pray corporately that, we will, that, we'll, that we'll see those opportunities. We need to pray for opportunities. Amen, church? We need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel and then seek them out. And church, we need to be able to share how Jesus changed our life. Jesus changed our life. If you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can say, I've been saved, right? I've been born again. Jesus has radically changed your life. That's where you are. Jesus has radically changed your life. And for the next three or four weeks, we're going to see the power of Jesus and see what happens when we come face to face with Jesus. When we encounter Jesus, church, we are forever changed. Followers of Jesus have been forever changed by Jesus, and we get to tell others about that. Amen? I'm in an amen mood today. Anybody else with me? Just help me out, right? Amen. During this series, we're going to look at three to four lives that have been changed. But if you look throughout the Word of God, it's not just three or four. Throughout the entire uh, Bible, we look, we, we, we see lives, we, see, we look and we see lives that have been changed. We look into this room, we look into our families, and we see lives that have been changed. We think about you and me and those that are listening in online today. Jesus has always been about restoring, saving, and changing lives. Jesus is in the story changing life, changing business. And so let's see this change and get excited about being used by God and about introducing others to the best relationship they will ever have. I was online this past week, probably spending too much time on social media or something. It was a person that I grew up with in high school. And this gal was just sitting on line doing a live Facebook thing for about an hour teaching people how to put makeup on. And I'm telling you what, that girl was excited about putting makeup on. So I started putting, no, I'm just kidding. But, but church, I mean, like she's getting excited about it. She's like, man, I've got these spots. I got these things going on in my face. I got these wrinkles. She didn't have wrinkles. But you get what I'm saying? Like I got these things going on. I probably watched this way too long, Mike. You know, it's just like he's like, he's judging me over here. But no, no, he's like. He's, he watched it with me, but um, <laughs> just kidding, man. he's like, I'm never praying again. Jeff. But but it was just like she got excited because she found a new thing that worked for her face. Amen. Right. But no, don't amen that. But church, man, we should get excited about sharing Jesus. I should just stick to my notes. Like, we should get excited about sharing Jesus and the change that he's made in your life. We are all about connecting people to Jesus at Authentic Life Church, and it's amazing to see not how you or I can change them. Church, we don't invite people in a relationship with Jesus. We don't invite them to church so that I can change them or so that you can change them or my mad guitar skills can change them, church, right? It's so Jesus can save them and change them, amen? This morning, would you join me in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see Jesus change a life. And we're going to see this. Not only does he change one life, but thousands are changed because of this life. As you guys are turning there, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, when we look at our text today, we're going to see a man that would probably earn the title of least likely to follow Jesus Christ. Least likely to follow Jesus Christ. This man, he's later known as Paul. 
but here we, we see him referred to as, as Saul, and just because they're so close, I'm probably going to mix them up. So if I say Saul or Paul, that's who I'm talking about, right? Same person. He's a man that would probably top the charts as least likely to follow Jesus. We can probably think about a person in our life right now that said, man, when I think about this person, there's no way, no way that person is going to follow Jesus. But God is a big God, church, amen? He's a big God, and he's capable of full transformation in your life and in my life and in lives of the least likely. Usually when we think about Paul, we think about a man that is known for being used by God in many ways. He was a church planter. He was a missionary. He was an evangelist. And God used him to author many of the books of the New Testament. And he used by God to really be involved. And God used him to tell others about Jesus. And we see many thousands probably come to know Christ because he was obedient to, to, to the commands of Jesus. But you look at the beginning of his story when we first see him in Scripture, and you might think, man, no way. There's no way that man is this man. There's no way. Right? This man was, was growing up. He was a religious guy. He had great training, great education. He learned from the top teachers of the Pharisees. He would have known languages like Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew and probably a little bit of Latin. Uh, he would have had a lot of the, the Old Testament memorized. He was moving up in the ranks, church. Right? He's moving up in the ranks in both knowledge and influence. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 8, we see Saul. And Saul is standing by, and there's a man named Stephen. And Stephen was a man that we really would refer to him as one of the first deacons, right? And he's a godly man, full of the Holy Spirit. And he's out telling people about Jesus, right? And he gets arrested. And, and here's what ends up happening to him. He, he's stoned to death for telling other people that Jesus was the Messiah. A godly man stoned to death. And in verse 1, we see this, that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Saul had it out for Christians. John MacArthur, a commentator, describes Saul as having a murderous hatred for all believers of Jesus. We're not just talking about, like, we don't like him. I'm going to say something bad about him on Facebook. We're talking murderous thoughts and actions towards, towards Christians. Still in chapter 8 and verse 3, the Bible says, but Paul, listen to this, listen to this language, but Paul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men he didn't stop there and women he would put them in prison this man wanted to stop these people from talking about christ by whatever means necessary he was okay with injuring them devastating them ruining them it wasn't just men right we kind of have that code right where we just we'll go after the men but not the ladies right it's men and women his persecution was after all of them and we come to Acts chapter 9, and this is where we're going to spend our time today. And right away in verse 1, we see a continuation of, of Saul's heart and his hatred for Christians. And church, I don't use that word hatred lightly. When it's in your heart that you're in agreement with a man being stoned to death for doing nothing wrong, that's hatred. Normally we would read through the entire passage of the church. We would stand and do that. It's a little bit longer, and so we're not going to do that today. Um, but we are going to read verse by verse through this. And, uh, and see what God has for us this morning. Would you guys join me in prayer? Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that we get to come in here today. As Mike was talking about and praying earlier, God, we, we have freedom to do that. We thank you for those that, again, we pray for them that have sacrificed. Some gave the ultimate sacrifice. Some of them are still suffering today. Some of them haven't done it yet but god we lift them up to you 
And we thank you that we have the freedom to come in here and sing, worship, and pray, and gather together. So God, you know what's going on in our lives today. You know our struggles, you know our pains, you know our joys, our victories. God, but we know that you're there with us each and every step. God, you also know our neighbors, you know our coworkers, you know our fellow classmates, you know our friends, our family, those that don't know you. You know who they are, and you've placed us in their life on purpose. But you're a sovereign God. So God, we pray today that we would be encouraged as we read and we see how you changed a man's life and be encouraged to go out and share the gospel with other people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When we look at Acts chapter 9, we see this hatred out of Paul for the followers of Jesus. In the beginning of Acts chapter 9, read that with me. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and breathing murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way. So when it says belonging to the way, Jesus says, I am the way, right? So if you're followers of Jesus, any of them that are followers of Jesus, they belong to the way. If he finds any of those, both men and women, he might bring them bound, or your translation might say, bring them in chains to Jerusalem. To say that he was breathing out threats and murder was to say that it was natural to him, church. It was, it was in his heart. It was part of who he was. He hated those that followed and spoke of Jesus, right, to the point that he would threaten, beat, and kill them. I heard a teacher write it this way, or I read that a teacher write it this way. He said this, Paul had already persecuted, even to death, Christians in Jerusalem. But that wasn't enough for him. He was so zealous, and he was so passionate, and he was so convinced that these Christians were wrong. How in the world could a man who hung on a tree, who was cursed by God, be the Messiah and the Christ? We're going to kill them, and we're going to stamp this out once and for all, and we're not going to do it in just, and we're not only going to do it in Jerusalem, I'm going to Damascus. Least likely to follow Christ. I think this is a good description of Paul's mentality and his heart and his motive. He wanted to wipe out Christianity because he had already rejected Jesus as the Messiah. He had already rejected Jesus as the promised Christ. Paul knew there was going to be a, there was a promised one. Paul knew it. He knew there was a promised one. He just didn't believe it was Jesus, and so he rejected Jesus. And so Saul sold out to this idea of wiping out the followers of Christ. He wants to head to Damascus. And think about this. This isn't like we just jump in our car and drive somewhere. This is 160 miles away from Jerusalem. He's, he's devoted to this, church. Like he's, he's after it. And so after Stephen was stoned, a lot of the church scattered, just like Jesus said. He said, he said go, and make, or go and be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem, right? And then he says, into other places, right? And they had scattered, and they went into a place called Damascus. And there's a lot of, of Christians there, and the gospel is spreading there. And so Saul, he's, he's angry about it, and he gets permission to head that direction and to further persecute, arrest, and possibly kill followers of Christ. This is a bad dude, church. Like, not in a good way. This is a bad dude, Right? And I want us to see what happens here, though. Keep in mind, this is a character study here a little bit. Keep in mind that this man was responsible for persecution and murdering Christians, and now he's headed to Damascus. Church, I cannot imagine what would be going through the minds of those people that, that, that Paul's heading their way. Are you, are you with me? 
It's hard for us to fathom here in the United States what this type of persecution was like. We get upset whenever Starbucks doesn't put Merry Christmas on a cup. Okay? That's not persecution, church. That's an opportunity for us to talk to them about Jesus, okay? That's not persecution. Man, I've, I've had, anybody have any friends, missionary friends that have given their life, have died because of the gospel going and sharing because of persecution. It's hard for us to understand in the United States what it was like, but, but Saul is heading their way. Look at me at verse 3. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him Saul Saul why are you persecuting me it's important to understand what's being said to to Saul here the voice says to him why are you persecuting me who is this voice if we look ahead to verse 5 we find out that it's Jesus right the resurrected Jesus he's in the presence of Jesus Saul is and he's knocked off his feet and he hears this voice that says why are you persecuting me This is a really good word for us this morning, church. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that once we are in Christ, once we are saved and we trust in the Lord, right, and and, and we're saved, we have that, we're part of his body, the Bible says. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of that family. And there's an inseparable union that exists between Jesus and those that follow Jesus. Do we get that this morning? Right? There's not this division, Right? There's an inseparable union that exists between Jesus and those that follow him. That's a good word this morning, church. Right? No matter what you're walking through this morning or whatever's going on in your life, there's an inseparable union between you and the creator of the universe. The moment of our conversion where we follow Christ, we are his and he is ours. Man, that's good news. And if there is an attack or a persecution toward us, it's an attack on Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? This is my body. This is my family. Why are you persecuting God and his church? Why are you trying to wipe out the truth of who I am? Verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord who are you, Lord? It's an interesting response here, knowing that Jesus had, or he had rejected Jesus. When Saul calls him Lord, it's basically a term of respect and fear. This dude had just been knocked down on his tushy, right, and put in his place. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And listen to this. He just gives him instruction. Get up, enter the city, and be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but not seeing, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could, he could see nothing. And leading him by the, by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So here was Saul. He's headed into town, right, to put a stop to the church, to put a stop to the followers of Christ, right? He has this group of men with him. He's got these, these guys traveling with him. We don't know the exact amount of men, but we know that they were all headed with him to gather, to persecute, and possibly kill followers of Jesus. That's what's happening. And Saul is suddenly surprised by this this light and a voice from heaven, and he trembles and falls to the ground. Here's the thing, church. God had a plan for Saul's life. But Saul so far had rejected Jesus. But we see here God is going to get Saul's attention, isn't he? Right? He's getting it. Sometimes God speaks to us 
right? He, he, he reaches down to us and he gets our attention when we least expect it. Anybody have that story where Jesus just kind of, God just kind of reaches down and gets our attention? Some in here may have the story where Jesus kind of grabbed their attention when they were least expecting it. Saul has that moment. He's in the presence of the Lord. He's knocked to the ground and he hears from Jesus. Side note, church. When God speaks, pay attention. Amen? When God speaks, pay attention. It might be through the word of God. It might be from your quiet time where you're studying the Word of God. It might be through uh, prayer time. Maybe it's internally. Maybe through it's, a, it's another Christian that's speaking God's Word into your life. But listen and respond when God speaks, church. Amen? We've got to listen and respond. Saul had an encounter with the Lord of lords and kings of kings, and he tells him, I'm Jesus that you're persecuting, right? So get up. I love it. Jesus is like, man, I'm in charge, man. Like, get up and enter the city, and it'll be told what you must do. He didn't even tell him what he's going to do. Just go and go. Here's the, here's the cool part. There's not one person in here that has the exact same story. We're all born in different places, right? We all have different stories, upbringings, personalities. We've all got that. We've all got different, we've got, all got different stories of how we came to Christ, different ages, different upbringings, different life circumstances. I've met some people with some pretty amazing stories. Anybody, sometimes, don't get me wrong, any time that Jesus saves you is an amazing story. Amen, church, right? I was doing, when I was in Kansas City, I was an associate pastor at a church, but I also worked doing collegiate work. So I'd go into these campuses and start Christian ministries and get them connected to the church and kind of be a missionary for them. And when I was doing that collegiate work, I was at a, a campus in, in Kansas City, and there was a, a young uh, Muslim gal uh, that I had met and she got saved. It was this great story. A young Muslim gal, she was deathly ill. Deathly ill. The only hospital that she could get into to help her with her illness was one of Christian faith. Listen to this. She saw a picture of Jesus on the wall before they knocked her out. She wasn't looking for Jesus. She wasn't looking for change. She wasn't looking for salvation. But she had a dream. And in that dream, the Lord spoke to her and he made it clear that she was following a false god. False teaching. I've got missionary friends that are over serving in the Middle East area where they're serving and they're teaching and they're being missionaries to those that are of the Islam faith. And I'm going to tell you, I've never heard one of them not tell me, Jeff, pray. They, they tell me this all the time. You guys may have heard this. Pray that God would speak to them in a dream. I don't know what it is, but that's what God does there. Without going into all the details, this lady woke up and asked Jesus to forgive her and save her. She met Jesus, and he changed her life. We have some, we've had some pretty amazing stories from people in this room. A couple weeks ago, we did the Lord's Supper, and that led to uh, a, a little, little guy, young, excuse me, big guy, coming up to me and asking me a question about the Lord's Supper. I sent him to his dad. He and his dad started talking. I get a text message from his dad later that says, guess what? He gave his life to Jesus. He got saved. That's an amazing story, Right? My son got saved, what, about a month and a half ago. I got a, I got a text message or a call from my niece this past week. Man, I gave my life to Jesus. I've been saved. Man, they're all amazing stories. We have these amazing stories from people in this room or maybe, maybe people that God has used our church to reach. Jesus has just changed their story and changed their life. Amen, church? Man, but Paul definitely had a story that I've never heard from anyone. Right? Maybe... Maybe you have, maybe you had a moment where you're walking from Tucson to Phoenix 
And God just knocked you on your tushy and he spoke to you when you got saved. Maybe that happened to you. I'm not going to put God in a box. Amen. Right. But but that wasn't my story. Right. But but we all have different testimonies of how we came to Christ. But we all have one thing in common. If you know Christ, if you've been saved, you turn to Jesus. You met Jesus and you turn to him. Because it's only in Jesus that there is salvation. The Bible says there is salvation in no other name by which we can be saved. Salvation comes when we turn to and believe in Christ. And I love this. Listen to this. It's not like we just get a little bit better, right? It's not like we just get a little bit better. We're, we're doing okay. Now we got Jesus. Now we're rocking it, right? It's not that at all. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've been saved, right? If you're in Christ, he's a new creation, he doesn't just make your life better. He gives you a new one. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. The Lord calls us to turn to him and to follow him. And when we do, we see that Jesus is in the life-changing business. Through him alone is salvation. And through him, this new life is available. The moment we come to Christ is often uh, referred to as being converted. In your Bibles, it might say the, the conversion of Saul, or does your Bible say that, like Paul's conversion or something to that sort? The, the, the word converted or conversion simply means to be transformed or be changed. That's what that word means. And here in a biblical sense, it's reference to one being saved, a person giving their life to Christ, and their life becomes radically changed. They have a new life in Christ. It signifies a change in our life, church, from wrong to right, from dark to light, from death to life. I'm glad I got that out right. That was kind of tricky. From sin, right, and having a, a, an incomplete or false teaching of God to the truth of Jesus and the word of God. And so when we encounter Jesus and when we're saved, your life is converted. It's transformed, church, right? And we see here this moment that Saul has a, a, a personal encounter with Jesus and he's transformed forever. And here's the crazy thing. We don't have all the details of the conversions with Jesus. We don't know if he said a certain prayer. We don't know if he did the hokey pokey. We don't know what he did. We know that he met Jesus and he gave us and he was saved. Amen, church, right? Right. We know that he had an encounter with Jesus and he was changed forever. And when we look back to our text, by the way, the hokey pokey doesn't save you, just so you know. All right. And we look back to our text, we see Jesus gives Saul instructions. Now, listen to this. Jesus says, get up and go, and then I'll tell you what to do. Think about the change. Saul had rejected and refused Jesus. He wasn't going to listen to anything that he said. And now guess what? Saul no longer rejects Christ. He's following him. Because Saul is no longer led by his, his dark heart and his unbelief. He's no longer led by his hatred for Jesus and Christians. Right? He had an encounter with Jesus and Saul recognized Jesus as Lord and he immediately follows him. Here's the reality, church. Sometimes we say, let's make Jesus Lord of our life. That's bull hockey, church. I don't know if that's okay to say like from here or not, but that's just not true. He's already Lord, right? Do we recognize him as Lord, right? Do we follow him as Lord? And that's what he does. He, who came up with the term bull hockey? Is that a bad thing? I hope not because I've said it three times now. And he immediately follows him. Saul wasn't expecting it, but Jesus says it's time. And he had, and he had set out, think about this, he had set out to persecute, kill, and now all of a sudden, after his encounter with Jesus, his life and thousands of others' lives are changed forever because Jesus intervened. Jesus used this certain road to Damascus experience for Saul. For you and I, it may have been the Lord may have used a, a message in church. Maybe it was a song. 
Maybe it was your just time of study. Maybe you just were at a breaking point and you reached out to God. Maybe it was like my grandfather. God used Billy Graham. My grandfather had heard over and over and over again about Jesus. Grandma told him over and over and over again about Jesus, wanted him to go to church, and either Grandpa didn't have time, he didn't care, maybe he rejected Jesus. I don't know what was going on in my Grandpa's heart. But God used Billy Graham, gave him the words to say. But it wasn't, it wasn't Billy Graham. It was simply the message of the life-changing and life-saving Jesus. The same message that we have to tell other people. And Grandpa was saved. It was so funny. I remember hearing the story of, from my grandma where, where Grandpa just kind of gets up and they're in this big old auditorium, like a football field deal, you know, and he grabs Grandma's hand and she's like, I'm already saved. You're going with me, you know, and they just went, went forward and Grandpa was saved and changed. And listen to this. Grandpa, just listen to this transformation. Grandpa began to walk with the Lord. And he told my dad, about Jesus, and he taught him how to walk with the Lord, and my dad taught me about Jesus, and taught me how to walk with the Lord, and I get to teach my kiddos about Jesus, and how to walk with the Lord. Jesus changes lives, and changes generations, church, and he uses many ways to draw people to himself, right? The Holy Spirit does that. God is not limited on how he draws you to himself. It could be through a dream. It could be through a message. It could be through a lot of different things, but it's God doing it, but however you came to Christ, Jesus initiated that when he intervened, he came when we didn't deserve it, right? He died and carried your sin. He, and he wants to make you clean, and he's calling you to him. We see it here, and we see it in others' lives. God's transforming power. We do, we do get that, church, don't we, that it doesn't have anything to do with us, like he started this whole thing. Are you with me, church? We move into verse 10. We see another side of this radical change in Saul's life. We meet a man named Ananias. Ananias is a godly man in the city of Damascus. Keep in mind this. Saul is breathing threats and murder against followers of Jesus. That's what he's doing. The people in Damascus, they knew who he is. They know who he is. They know what he's done. They know he's on his way. But they don't know that Saul has met Jesus. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple. A disciple means that he's a follower of Christ. He's a student. He's a learner. He's, he believes in Jesus. He's at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, here I am, Lord. Notice he says that he's a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. And the Lord calls his name and he responds and says, here I am. What a great response. When we know that the Lord is speaking into our lives, we respond, here I am, Lord. He doesn't even know what God's going to ask of him yet. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, he tells him something big, get up and go to the street called Straight really unique names, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus named Saul. And I can just imagine being Ananias at that moment. It's like, well, I know I said, here I am, Lord, but let me take a couple steps back. But he doesn't do that, right? Here I am, Lord. He says, I want you to go find this man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Are we sure we're talking about the same Saul, right? And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I love what happens here. It's a moment of authenticity in his response to the Lord. Check this out. God's okay with us coming to him with our, with our fears. Amen, church? He's good. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, right? How much harm he did to your saints. And the word saints there is speaking of Christians. What he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And now here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is sharing his concern and his fear with God. 
But the Lord calms him down. The Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. He doesn't leave anybody out. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It makes sense that Ananias would respond like that, doesn't it, church? Because he would have been someone that Saul would have been targeting. Saul's coming in. He's going to go for these leaders, right? He's going to go for these guys. Ananias was a man, well, a man of God, well-respected among other Christians. So there's no doubt that Saul would want to shut him up or make an example out of him. But God says, Ananias, trust me. I got this. Do we need to hear that, hear that this morning? Jessica and I are going through some stuff with our family right now. We just need to hear God say, trust me. I got this. Anybody need to hear that this morning? Here I am, Lord. And just hear him say, trust me, I got this. God says, I'm the life changer. And I'm going to use this man. He will be a witness before Gentiles, before kings, before Israel, right? He, he will be used by me in ways you can't even imagine. The Lord is telling them, I know that he's currently known as the persecutor and the one bringing suffering, but he will be on the other end. Saul will be persecuted and suffer for the advancement of the gospel. And here's the crazy thing. We get to a point where Paul says, I have joy because of that. Are you with me, church? Saul will suffer for Jesus' sake so others can come to know Christ as their Savior. And we see that happen throughout the rest of the New Testament. He's stoned at times. He's left for dead. He's chased. He's imprisoned. He's shipwrecked. All of this so that other people can know Jesus. Side note. Sometimes we have a hard time looking over our fence to our neighbor and telling them about Jesus. Not a guilt thing. It's just a reality, isn't it? Right? The Lord says, I've got this. Trust in my transforming power because I'm in the business of changing stories and changing lives. The story started out, I'm going to go and I'm going to persecute and I'm going to arrest and I'm going to bind them and I'm going to bring them. But it changes and we see that listed out in the rest of the New Testament that God changed that story. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. After laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his eyes, or his eyesight. And he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Church, don't miss what we see here. Ananias trusted God. He didn't trust Saul. He trusted God. He hears from God, here I am. He departs. He goes to Saul as God commanded. He lays on him. And look what he says. Don't miss this, church. He calls him Brother Saul. It's a big deal. These words, Brother Saul, here's what they do. They illustrate the redeeming power of Jesus. They illustrate the forgiveness of Jesus. These are words of freedom from his past and acceptance into the family of God. Do we see that? Like, they're going to run and flee from him, and now they're saying, what's up, bro? Right? Like, brother Saul. Brother Saul. It's words of family. And Saul is, is there. He, he feels these hands on him, and he hears the words, brother Saul. You have to imagine that he was thinking about who he was before Christ. I was a murderer of these brothers and sisters, and now I'm a brother of them. He might be thinking, I was an evil person, a persecutor of Christ, a persecutor of good, godly people. I murdered and shamed those that followed Jesus. I probably would have targeted this man, but this man is now calling me brother Saul. 
Sometimes when we don't walk through these things verse by verse, we miss little things like this. That's, transform, that's transformation, church. And Saul hears these amazing words, Brother Saul. So Saul, now a believer of the way, a follower of Christ, he follows Baptism is not salvation. He follows his salvation with baptism, right? It's a way to make a public profession of your faith in Christ. And it's a way to say, hey, I'm now identifying with Christ. He identified it was in his heart that he was a persecutor of Christ. And now he is a, identifying with Christ. Saul is obedient to Christ. He gets baptized, saying to other Christians and saying to all, I belong to Jesus. He is the one that saved me and changed me. We're going to get to this today, but in verse 23, we see that other Jews that are still rejecting Christ, they're still coming after him, man. They're now coming after Saul. Are you with me, church? That's transformation, right? Church, God is good. Don't put him in a box, right? Don't carry this, this idea that God would never save this person or that person or, or say that this person is a lost cause. For you here today, if you're sitting here today and you say, man, I don't, I don't know Jesus, let me tell you something. You're not a lost cause. Jesus loves you. He pursued you. He wants you to turn to him so that he can save you and change you. It's just it's a good word, man. Next few verses, picking up in verse 19. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. See, these are followers of Jesus. They're all at, at Damascus and, and Saul's with them. And look at this, and immediately, don't miss that word, immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. That's a big deal, church, because he had rejected that this was the son of God. He's now a follower of Christ. He begins immediately to tell of Jesus. All those hearing him, can you just imagine this? All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who, is, who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? And who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Paul or Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I think I got to throw Kanye in here somewhere, right? You guys hearing about Conway, man? You guys know who Kanye is, right? I just called him Conway. Conway Twitty, right? Two different people. Kanye. Kanye. You all are shaking your head at me. I know who he is. I know Conway Twitty better, but... Here's the thing, church. We don't, we don't see his heart. If Jesus saved him, praise God, amen. Are you with me, church? Man, somebody that had presented himself as Lord now is proclaiming Jesus as Lord. All right, I'm the only one excited. All right. right. Transforming power of our Lord and Jesus. Immediately, Saul began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue. Don't forget, Saul was headed to this synagogue. To arrest them and put a stop to them speaking of Jesus. And now he's at that synagogue speaking of Jesus. And people are amazed. I don't, I, we'd have to be amazed. Isn't this the same guy they're thinking that was on his way to kill us and silence us? Isn't this the guy that wants us dead? But Saul kept proving that. right? He keeps speaking that Jesus is the Christ. Saul went from a persecutor of the gospel. And Jesus changed him. Wasn't the pastor that changed him? What wasn't anybody else? It was Jesus that changed him to now a participant in the advancement of the gospel. All because Saul encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. Church, there are some things I want us to take away this morning. Whether you're sitting here and you know that you're a follower of Christ, or maybe you're here and you've not given your life to Jesus, those are, those are, these are things that you need to hear this morning. What I'm about to say, the takeaway is this. Jesus changes lives, church. <clears throat> and hear this your past and your current circumstance are no obstacle for jesus 
Saul was a man that could have looked in the mirror and said, my past is not worthy of you, Christ. Church, here's a newsflash. Neither is mine and neither is yours. Ananias knew Saul's story and his hatred, but he trusted God that even God could save Saul. Or Saul could even save Paul. Could, you get what I'm saying. Let me write this in this again. Justin, I need you to finish for me, man. God was trusted by Ananias that he could save even Saul. Church, there are people in our lives, we know their story, and we get this crazy idea that there's no way. So we don't pray for them, we don't look for the opportunity, we don't go and tell them. The amazing reality is this, your past and their past and their current life and your current life are no obstacle for Jesus. If you're here today, you might think the same thing. I'm no good. I'm a lost cause. Jesus says, I got news for you. Your past and your current life are no obstacle for me. Turn to me. Believe in me, and I will save you and change you. No one in here or in your life is beyond the reach of Jesus, church. What does Paul call himself? The chief of sinners. There are people in your lives that need to know of Jesus, and God has placed you in their life on purpose. They need the change that only he can offer. So will you use your story, will you use your story and even the story of Saul to encourage you to tell others about Jesus? Saul rejected Jesus. He was the chief of sinners and Jesus changed his story and changed his life. So church, he can save your life. He can save your neighbor's life, your, your family member, your boss. He can save your enemy's life. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good word, man? Pray that God would use you this week to see others come to know Jesus Christ and trust in his power to save and change them. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, man, listen to Jesus when he says, follow me. Because he can transform your life. He's ready to give you a new life. Let's pray.